Hello everybody and welcome back to an all new episode of the Mastering Agility podcast. The series aims to inspire you and others by bringing the best in the business and speaking of the best in the business. In today's show, we have Will Salem talking about his and Daniel Vacante's new book, Flow Metrics for Scrum Teams. But before welcoming Will, just want to give you a heads up again, a gentle reminder, if you will, about the Discord community where all sorts of cool stuff are going on. For instance, the whole new Mastering Agility book club inspired and started by Elizabeth Xavidou. Will himself is in there as well. Now, let's continue to Will. If you like this episode, please give us a thumbs up, a five-star rating, good reviews on whatever platform that you're using. It just helps us grow in the show. Thank you very much for that. Here's Will. Will, good morning, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, I finally had some uh, some rain yesterday, uh, which was a nice change of pace compared to uh, the heat uh, the last few days. Did you actually had good rain, good prop rain? Because we were promised or forecasted. Let's keep it to that because that's a big, big difference. Uh, we were forecasted to have quite some rain as well, yet we only got maybe three or four drops. Uh, no, it was was good rain where I was at. I recently moved um, recently moved uh, out uh, to to the southwest of the Netherlands, uh, and we had a proper proper hour and a half long thunderstorm in the oh, morning. Nice, that's a good thing, especially after such a period of drought. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I uh, I have a I have a recently acquired a garden with a new house and i still need to get used to actually watering things so when nature does it for you that saves me the hassle <laughs> it's a big difference yeah because you were living in, in more of an, in a, in an apartment or been in, within the city yeah i was slumming it in an apartment but uh with all this work from home uh, i decided to <laughs> decided to invest in a place that has some proper work from home space yeah exactly a good thing uh, i think that the forecast versus promise and the actual, those kind of things. Uh, I think that's a good introduction to your book. You're, you and Daniel Vacanti have been working on a great book called Flow Metrics for Scrum Teams. Tell us about it. Uh, yeah, so it's um, it kind of came about because um, uh, I'm on the I'm on the uh, ProCombine.org Slack channel as well because I've I've been a trainer there for a while and I've worked with with Dan. I keep, I think kind of since the development of the original PSK uh, with uh, Scrum.org, um, and he, uh, he he started asking me kind of random questions about uh, about Scrum and about how Scrum teams uh, work with things, and the answers I gave him seemed to make him very upset. Uh, <laughs> In what way? Um, well, I think I think the the original the original one was. Um, you know how uh how the, the the idea of a scrum board came to be, uh, right? Which is which is the, kind of this urban myth that that developed at one point that a scrum team must have a board with to do doing done, uh, in their in their sprints. And then I explained it's actually worse because what a lot of teams do is they'll 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 break up work into tasks, and this is actually something that's still kind of sideways recommended in the scrum guide, and so. They can have this view on a board and in a burndown chart of getting a lot of stuff done without actually getting anything done, right? Because you're just completing tasks uh, without completing the the, the PBI. Um, and this led to kind of a further conversation of, um, you know, how do we how do we kind of break out of that? And we we got the we got the idea to maybe write uh, kind of a little. A little booklet. We 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 tried to write something before. We um we tried to write kind of a, you know Gunter Verheyen's book, the Scrum Pocket Guide. Absolutely, must read in my so, opinion. Yeah, I love that book. I recommend it to everyone. It's it's um, and you said we should make something like that for Kanban, and so we we started work on that. I think early twenty twenty or twenty twenty one, but then I got really busy, and it went all the way to the back of my priority pile, and he ended up. He ended up writing it with um, with Pratik and Colleen from from Pro Kanban, but we still had the idea of writing a book together. So then it was okay. How about we just write like this concise pocket guide for how to get started with flow metrics for a Scrum team, and maybe kind of break away from this idea of 
just finishing a bunch of tasks without actually getting anything done and break away from this idea of, of, of story pointing as well. Um, and, and kind of the community theater that, that accompanies that. What is it in your experience in European that makes it so challenging for scrum teams and organizations to not to break stuff down in too much granular tasks and the, all these nitty gritty details, but actually get stuff done and focus more on the actual delivery of stuff. Um, it's, it's primary school that makes it hard. Um, that's a bit of a convoluted answer, but I've been, uh, I've been really diving into, uh, behavioral psychology the last few years, right? Trying, trying to get to the point of, well, why, why do people do all of these strange things? And then you look at kind of the patterns that you're taught from very early on. And one of it is like, and, and you start seeing this in, in early primary school, right? You get a test at some point and you have to study for that test. And if you studied well, then you get a high score. And if you didn't study well, then you don't get a high score. Right. And we say these scores are really important, right? Your parents will tell you it's important and you need to score uh, sufficient in order to proceed in, in grades and all that stuff. So kind of from the age of four, five, six onwards, you get taught repeatedly, hey, whatever happens in life, if you prepare enough and if you do enough studying, um, you'll do well. And oh, if you didn't do well, that's always the fault of not preparing well enough and not studying well enough. Right. And you repeat this over and over and over and over and over again. And so you and, and so people enter the workforce at one point with this idea that the world isn't complex and that if bad things happen, if things don't turn out the way you expect them to, that's your fault because you didn't prepare well enough because you didn't study enough. So then you go into development right, which is software development, hardware development, marketing development, whatever. And, oh, it's not going according to schedule. And we're not going to get it done in time, or we're not going to get it done within budget, or it's not having the, uh, the effect that we wanted it to. Could it be that the world is complex? No, no because it's prepare. you, because that's what you've been yeah, taught. Yeah, yeah. I get where you're coming from. Yeah, that this is actually the... The connection I've been seeing. My son is actually in that range of ages that you mentioned, five, six, seven. My son is seven and a half now. And it's it's one of the first things that our elementary school or my son's elementary school mentioned. Well, we're not going to do this CETO test in, in third grade. It's like, well, I may hope so that you're not going to do it. But it's a, the whole mentality behind it. Indeed. You have to score because else you won't make it to the next, uh, to the next class. And uh, ultimately... It, that boils down and drills down into later stages in life because you have to get the best grades else you won't go to university. You have to perform better because else you won't make the promotion. And with, with my son, it's kind of the opposite. We're doing the exact opposite. Like, Let's focus on what you like to do and what fits best and how to uh, make your strengths even stronger and your weakness as well. We'll see with that because what was your worst subject in, in elementary school what was what were the things that you were horrible at oh man uh, so probably probably my worst course in primary school was bible study because uh, i went to a catholic or sorry catholic primary school uh which which is what turned me into a lifelong atheist uh i think probably following that it was dutch Mm -hmm. uh i i just i very early on decided to give up on the whole dt thing which if if you're not familiar with the dutch language it is it, it's mainly made of of, of like exceptions and arcane rules stemming back from like the 1200s or so uh which is why i just went yeah. went english almost all the way so the which D is also why there will never be a dutch version of the book <laughs> The DTs in Dutch are similar to the Oxford comma in English. You know, these your, 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 whatever. People will mix that stuff up continuously. And it's the same with the DTs. Um, but coming back to my question and the point of that is how much did you actually focus on improving that stuff? Or did you focus on, this is what I like to do. This is what I'm good at. Let's focus on that. Um, pretty much pretty much the latter thing, right? I had, I had things that I that I enjoyed doing and that I was good at 
but I was good at them because I enjoyed doing them. And then kind of the tests came. Um, right. Though, though, though I have to say, and this is, this is kind of another, uh, another problem with, with Dutch primary school. I was a pretty gifted student, so I didn't actually have to do much to yeah. achieve passing grades. Same. It doesn't have to um, be that hard. Yeah, exactly. So I struggled, I struggled more with things in, uh, in 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 high school and actually one of the one of the courses that i was the worst in was uh a, I, I was a victim of the second phase in in dutch uh high schools uh which was when the government decided to do this new way of uh, new way of education so my worst course by far was uh apply ti82 uh also known as math uh there's a joke there because the entire math course was based around the texas instruments 82 uh uh, calculator, um, which is which is ironic because I then went into programming, which is applied mathematics, and the flow metrics for Scrum teams is essentially an applied math book. Yeah, right. Context is king. It is, yeah. But that's uh, speaking of flow. Uh, this is those tests are and, and and studying and preparing. That's the same bottlenecks in flow that you get where. If you don't study throughout, then you're fine. You can just waddle along and then all of a sudden you have to deliver. And that's the point where you need to start preparing and do stuff. And that's where you you get your bottleneck and flow. What if this yeah. would be continuously throughout? So you don't necessarily get a test, but you have to be performing properly throughout and able to, in order to actually yeah. deliver. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that I, that I quite like doing with my fiance is we've been following this do it yourself channel on uh, on YouTube because we we bought a house and we plan to do some some stuff ourselves, and, and one of the things that they, I think they had a poster at one point that just said "make fail, make fail, make fail, make," um, which I think is a, is such a healthy attitude, right? Because yeah. it doesn't have to be perfect, and that's that's the weird thing about education, right? Is we we teach people early on that that there's going to be this moment, and at that moment it has to be perfect. But real life is just try it over and over and over again until it works. Yeah, I I, I read this article, I think it was last week, where this professor said we are pampering our kids too much because we're we let kids be the leading factor, and we do everything to satisfy the needs of our kids and whatever they want. So they have a seemingly easy life. But then as soon as life actually happens and there are some things that are not as per- not as perfect or things don't go the way that they anticipated it would go, uh, the impact of that is a lot harder. And I yeah. think it's the same thing with developing, uh, development, whether that's uh, software, hardware, or whatever. If we set up we have to be perfect. We have to get a, uh, an A product right away uh, without room for failure. Then you are setting yourself up for way more failure and demotivated people. Uh, what's your opinion on that? Well, I think, I think it's a... So I coach... I've done quite some leadership coaching as well. And, and we see this problem with people entering the workforce as well. Um, is they, they don't know how to handle feedback that isn't praise right and i think um uh, you know f- failing isn't bad but you have to teach people to deal with failing at things right and and yes there's there's the interesting acronym of you know first attempt in learning but sometimes you do something and it just sucks right um but you have to learn how to handle that, right? Something, something like a participation trophy, which you see in in <laughs> kids' sports sometimes, is is horribly psychologically damaging. It's, yeah, right. Because life has winners and losers, and sometimes you lose, and you have to do that gracefully, and you have to handle that, and you have to be frustrated, and then you pick yourself up and you try again. Could you imagine and, this in in scrum teams and? Uh, you definitely by far did not reach the prodigal, but here you have a trophy because you tried your best. Well done. It's the, uh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't produce a working increment this sprint, but we sure tried. All right. Hand of applause for trying really hard. We we just, we spent a hundred K for you trying really hard at some, you know, it, we don't got shit now, but you tried, at least you tried. 
and that's and that's the the brick wall people run into right when they when they when they enter a workforce yeah. right it's this, this combination of of you have to be perfect but then at the same time also being coddled that uh you know if it isn't perfect then it's not you it's literally everything else yeah also yeah. people do in general now i'm very generalizing of course but there's a lack of proper introspection people yeah. always seem to be looking for something else to blame but as soon as they can take credit they will take credit and that, you that, s- yeah you see that in retrospectives right yeah. <laughs> you run a retrospective with a new team and it's in well how uh, how do we go this sprint what can we do better well they have to and the tools and the yep it's like okay you're right on all of those factors but what did we do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my main question or the first question that I actually ask, other than how are you doing, how are you guys doing, and making sure they're psychological safe in uh, retrospective is, what can I do better? What can I do better to be a better Scrum Master for you guys? Because uh, I know by far I'm not I'm not perfect. And I have my way of doing things, but that, not, that might not always be the best moment or the best approach. But I'm blind to that. You know, I do things that I think are the best, but I know that that doesn't always resonate. So sticking to those things with uh, with yourself first, I think that's the the, the main yeah. approach to it. Yeah, you have to you have to go first. Exactly. Absolutely. Hey, tell more about tell me tell us more about the content in the book. How can we actually put this into practice? What kind of metrics are being discussed, and how can we improve and use that to uh, improve as a Scrum team? Um. Yeah, it's so it it is it is kind of a um, it is a basic level introduction to kind of how to kind of sneakily implement a little bit of the Kanban strategy into Scrum, right? Not the Kanban method, but the Kanban strategy. So um, we don't want to make things too complicated. So really, there's only two things that we're asking you to start measuring. Right? That's it. It's only two things. It's it's one is how old is the stuff that you're working on? So when you pull an item, so when you start working on it, note down the date. Uh when it when it changes in terms of what you need to do on that item, so going from, you know, uh analysis into development or from uh, you know, exploration into building, you know, note down that date when that changes. And then when you when you finish the item, note down the date at which you finish it. And so at that point, you can, for anything that's in progress, you can see, okay, how long, how old is this thing? And when it's done, you can tell, okay, how, how long did it take us to finish this item? So that's one, right? One thing you're measuring is just time. The other thing we're asking you to measure is amount. How many things are we working on at the same time? And how many things did we finish in a given time span, right? Either how many things did we finish yesterday, how many things did we finish today, or how many things did we finish last week, or how, how many things did we finish last sprint? Um, that's it. Those are the two metrics. It's 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 age and it's amount. That doesn't sound too complicated yet. It isn't. And the the interesting thing that 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 I found at least coaching teams with this is if you don't expose them to more complicated or convoluted ways of working right like uh you know the the the, the much maligned points or the or the t-shirt sizing or function point analysis or or gantt charts or, and, or those things and you just say okay you know just measure measure age and amount they just go like really that's it it's like yes right and then it turns out that if you're delivering right if you're getting things done then very quickly you have everything you need to govern your process. How I'm, I'm a little bit triggered by, uh, by the, the, by the story points and the analysis. And I can picture this, like people are still, when they put this in, into practice, people are still trying to weave in the story points and the, uh, these kind of things, t-shirt, all the estimations and getting to a precise point and normalizing story points. Let's assume people are starting measuring the amount um, and the time and these kind of things that you just mentioned, yet they're still trying to find this, but we have to do this 
because Scrum says we have to do estimation versus let's start with just this. Well, that's uh, you know that's that's the part where Dan dislikes the Scrum guide a little bit, and I wish we'd it it'd be a bit more clear. But I also understand where Ken and Jeff are coming from. The Scrum guide just says an estimation, right? It doesn't say estimate in hours. It doesn't say estimate in story points. It doesn't. It doesn't even say estimate in whatever unit. It just says make an estimation, right? And one thing when I when I have teams start with Scrum, um, right? Yes, we're we're tracking time and and amounts in the background, but but the first estimation I just ask them to make is, well, do you think you can build this within a sprint? And if they say yes, then well, the item is estimated, right? Basically, yeah. Although I still encounter a lot of teams that are way too confident in the things they are actually able to pull off to get to a fully done state, even though they have been doing this. Uh, yeah, yeah. Also, which is which is part two as well. Go go actually finish some things, and then and then we can look back. So right. So if we if we work on and teams that I that I start coaching right. Well, the the first sprint. I'm not first sprint. I'm not even. I'm not even trying to get a really full product backlog. I'm, I'm just at that point going like, well, our our first sprint goal is just to deliver a working increment, right? Get get something at least deployed into production. So if that means we just pull one item and we finish that one item, that's good enough for me, right? If we finish early, we can always pull something else. If it doesn't work within the sprint, then it's Oh boy, was our estimation off. Uh, but at that point, during daily scrum, we're already looking at okay, do we need to do we need to break this up and uh, and etc. Right, but once you once you have a little bit of that of that history, right, that's when you can start looking looking at some 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 statistics. Now, if you are a team that is doing heavy estimation work, the other thing that you can look uh, look back at is well how good were our estimations right and again this is this is the advantage of tracking time uh, right and tracking amounts is if you have a history of doing hourly estimations or t-shirt estimations or, or story point estimations or whatever and you lay that next to the actual time it took to finish things every team I've worked with has found almost zero connection between those things. No, true. Yeah, there seems to be a very persistent stigma that these two are tied together. Yeah, it's the fact of the matter is we just we suck at estimating. Yes, I mean I know you're what roughly under eighty five centimeters, maybe one ninety. It's been a while since the last time I saw you. Yeah, but. That's I yeah. I do know I that's probably going to be off, but I do know that you're definitely uh, at least a foot taller than my wife. But yeah. th- still, we're trying to make this exact estimate. You know, I've seen entire companies try to normalize story points and push that into hours and and money and all these factors that don't matter. Yet, if you if people are treating it like this, this becomes the stigma, or this is this is what is being tied to Scrum, and therefore this becomes Scrum in that organization. How do you break that? And it's the same with, for instance, the Kanban method versus Kanban. Uh, what was it? Mentality that you the, just the strategy, the yeah. strategy, yeah. Um, it's so. If you'd had asked me three, four years ago, I would have said it's teaching, right? It's teaching and it's showing, um, right? We, we have this example in the book because what, what people also don't get with, with estimating is you're not just estimating one item, right? When you're working in a sprint, you've got a bunch of estimates and assumptions that are collapsing into each other, right? We this item has to be estimated correctly. This item has to be estimated correctly. This item has to be estimated correctly. Our presence has to be estimated correctly. Our velocity has to be estimated. So, so all of these things compound, right? And we have this example in the book of, uh, you know, there's a, there's a meeting that's planned and 12 people need to attend and all 12 of those people have a 50% chance of being on time. That's optimistic. 
right? And and so you ask the question of, you know, what's what's the chance that meeting is going to start on time? And people will go, oh yeah, it's 50%. But the reality is it's 50% times 50% times 50%, right? 12 times long. So the chance of that meeting actually starting on time is almost nothing. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, and this is, this is, you run into this with a scrum team, right? Your, your, your sprint planning is just all of these compounding guesses that are adding up, which makes it, uh, which if you're very ambitious, right? And you're like, okay, I'm going to plan to the max of my velocity. It's a bit of a gamble as to what you're going to get, right? Which is why a lot of mature teams will be quite conservative, uh, in their in their estimates, but in order to be conservative, you have to spend a lot of time, right? Looking at work and trying to break it down and making it simpler, so that margin of error becomes smaller and smaller, which is what what in turn will lead to tasking. Um, what what uh, Dan found, and what what some of the other brilliant minds in in kind of that that common community found is that hey, but we can use probabilistic analysis, which is you know, from the from the sixteen hundreds, uh, right? This is old Bausch-Belot stuff, and 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 that kind of stuff is. Uh, no, it's not Bausch-Belot. Someone, uh, someone else. Uh, Blaise Pascal. That's the one. Blaise Pascal. I, I um, right? Is we can we can we can use some of some of that that math to make that pro uh, that that process a whole lot simpler, right? And so. Instead of teaching people about, hey, here's how here's how forecasting works, and uh, you know, go everyone go read Annie Duke's book on thinking in bets and all that stuff. That's that's all very very active thinking. Whereas, you know, our intent was kind of, you know, here's a here's a way of working, and here's some probabilistic math that you can use. That's not going to take you much time. It just makes the whole process a whole lot simpler, so you can just get to work. Right, and that's and that's really, uh, that's really also what drew me in there because I've been looking a lot at how to use kind of that system one thinking and those nudges a lot more. Is how do we get people to stop thinking so much about how to do the work and and the process, and how do we just get that process out of the way so they can just focus on the work, right? And and that's where that's where Monte Carlo that just says. Hey, there's an 85% chance of finishing at least 10 items this sprint based on based on previous uh, achievements. Just go like, all right, I'm just gonna pull 10 items and then we'll right size all of them, uh, which is also a process of seconds, right? Do we think we can finish this? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and and then you're good to go, right? And it doesn't get in your way. We tend to overthink quite a bit. And oh man, be, you'd be way more optimistic again um, than we than we can actually. Deliver. I ran into this example uh, a month and a half ago where one of the scrum teams that I was working with estimated in their sprint planning, we can do about 75 product backlog items. I was like, oh, I don't think that's that. No, no, I don't think you can pull this off based on what I've been seeing, but they don't, they don't measure exactly what they're doing. So that was, that was my first improvement point. Anyway, this was a team of like 50 people working for a month or yeah, maybe seven. In three weeks, so I was like, "Yeah, that that's not going to happen." I mean, this is a, this is this is your unicorn, right? It seems cool, never going to happen. Yeah, we can do this. We can pull this off. I said, "All right, I'm on the verge of going on my holiday. Let's see what happens when I get back." I don't think you're going to be done by then, but let's see. And indeed, they were able to finish twenty four items instead of. 70, 75, 76. And even those uh, 20-ish, they were still not fully done. Uh, but they were so optimistic about their own ability. Like, yeah, we know exactly what to do. And not taking into account, A, the flow of stuff that goes, uh, how it goes from analysis to actually getting done, but also not taking into account the fact that things can change along the way. That the work is way more complicated than they originally thought. Um they didn't actually proper estimate or think about what what it is, uh, what the the items are, and what they needed to to actually in depth do. So they didn't refine sufficiently, 
And if I go to the website of prokanban.org slash scrum flow metrics, it already says flow metrics for scrum teams because story points were never part of scrum anyway. This was taken into kindly taken into the extreme, like, all right, we don't have to estimate anything. So that's the, so there's a whole school of thought around this, right? And, and, uh, you know, that the hashtag no estimates movement, um, and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that gets conflated into it. Um, cause there, there is a group of people that says, okay, as estimation in of itself is already wasteful and you should just be working and you should just be building stuff. Personally, I think that goes a step too far, but a to each their own and they've had some successes when you're using flow metrics and you're using what we call the surface level expectation, which is, which is what we explained in the book. We're not saying you don't do estimation. Um, what we are doing is bringing that using, using past, uh, past history to look at what is reasonable to expect. And we are asking you to do a very low level kind of estimate, right? And, and there's always a chance attached to it. And this is, this is something that is cognitively very hard for people to grasp because people don't do well with, with chances, right? But if our history says, right, 85% of all of the things that we finished in the last few sprints, we finished in five days or less. Here's a new item, All right? All right, team, let's look at this item, right? Which, which can be, which can be user story or some other format is, do we think we can finish this in five days or less, right? Thumbs up, thumbs down, right? If all the thumbs go up, that's the item estimated that that's the item refined enough. And from past experience, we know that in 85% of cases, that was good enough. We could finish it in five days or less, right? Could be half a day, could be a day, could be three days, could be four days, could be five days, right? But 85% of cases, it took five days or less, which means in 50% of cases, it can take longer, right? And if we notice that it's taking longer, that means that there were things that we didn't know, which means we should break it up, um, right? And and at, at the same point, if someone puts their thumb down, right? I'm not sure if we can finish this in five days or less, then it warrants a deeper look and then you break it up before you pull it. Um, right. But it's those, it's those percentage chance, uh, chances that, that give you that flexibility. But, but that's also acknowledging the reality that, Hey, in 15% of cases, it took longer. And in some cases it took a whole lot longer. Right. But we can track every day if that item is behaving like items in the past. And so if we start seeing it getting older, right? If it's one day old, well, it's fine, you know, again, if it's four days old and 85% of all of the stuff we finished in five days or less, and this item is four days old and it's not already in kind of the final stage of development, right? We're still busy analyzing it or, or, or that sort of stuff. That's a problem, right? That's something that we might want to swarm on as a team and see, okay, what, what did we not take into account here? Have you seen in, in the course of writing this book that these has a bit to do with attention span as well? Because that's something that I've noticed happening where if some piece of work takes a little bit too long to actually finish, people start working on other items because their attention just goes, all right, I don't want to work on this anymore because we've been working on this for five days and we're not really progressing. Let's pick up something else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's not, it's not the fun thing anymore, right? It's, it's the problem case and, and, and it's, and it's very easy to kind of just shove it away because we want that dopamine hit from finishing yes. something. It says, Oh, I'll finish something. I'll finish something. I'll finish. And and meanwhile, that thing is aging. Whereas, uh, so yeah, I've, def I've definitely seen that. And this is where discipline comes in. And that's, that's not what we teach in the book, right? The book says, you know, if it if it gets too old, here's a here's a bunch of tactics you can you can use. Right? It's it's look at look at where it is, look at how it, how it's behaving, look at how old it is and if it's and if it's too big, here's a bunch of things you can do to break it up. And when you break it up, that means you there are things you can do to to finish. Um but what you don't want to do is just leave it there because 
well, if it wasn't valuable, you wouldn't be, or if you didn't think it was valuable, you wouldn't be building it in the first place. Now, on the other hand, if you've been working on it for 20 days, right, actively working, not ignoring it, and it's still nowhere near getting done, then there's no way to break it up. Then you need to have a different kind of conversation with your product owner and saying, hey, this is, we're already this deep into the investment. We're not seeing a way out to just want to scrap this feature. Which is challenging by itself because that's where you get into these feature factories as well, where the discussion between do you actually think this is valuable and why do we think this is valuable? It doesn't say anything, obviously, about flow. Uh, but it's, it is one of the things that's, that's quite often being skipped. Like the, the people are working because work is there, work is being presented to them, not because they think about why should we do this and how does this help us progress towards prodigals. Yeah, yeah, and, and sunk cost fallacy uh, also also hits you square in the face at that point, right? Especially with older things, it is really hard for people to let them go. Uh, I remember my friend uh, Ryan uh once uh i think told me about uh, about a presentation he did at a conference where he just asked people to raise their hand if they had items in their backlog that were over a year old and like half the audience had their hands up and then it goes like two years old and like a bunch of people put and eventually he gets to five years and one person had his hand still up and he just went like Why? you're never gonna build it right it's been there for five years it's it, it the, the point is gone he's just like i can't drop it it's you know, the important stakeholder wants it. It's five years old. It's, yeah, yeah. Nobody cares. But people have a really tough time letting go. Yeah, yeah, also the fear of repercussions comes in again there. Not that psychological safe environment. I had this, the, the same experience when I came into a large sport um, apparel manufacturer and I came in there and said, well, first things that I want to do is just see the current state of your backlog and let's see on the average uh, age just pulled into Jira because that's what they were using. That's easy to track, you know, and the average of their entire backlog was a year and a half, just the average. Yeah. It, it took a random item, random given item, 40 days to actually get done. Uh, it's, it's insane. Yeah. These yeah. metrics are very easy to measure. And that's what I love about these, these flow metrics as well. And the book that you that you wrote, it's really easy to start. It's really tangible. You can actively do something with it. It does take you a little bit of discipline to actively work on this and not just do this once. And then it's kind of like my uh, my laundry. I, I'm, I'm looking at my laundry from this point of perspective. It's always something that needs to be done. And then you're finally done and everything looks tidy. And then after that, ah, geez, there it is again. And it's the same with applying flow metrics. You can get stuff done really fast, but you got to keep this going continuously. It's not so, like this is the state we've now reached and we're, we're there. Yeah. And you might not like what you see, right? Um, uh, I, uh, I, I worked with, uh, with an HR team at one point that handled uh, service requests from employees, right? And so we can, we can measure when we talk about service level expectation, right? We, we look back at all of the items that we finished in the past, how long they took, and then we can... Um, we can kind of group those together, right? 50% took up to this long, 70% took up to this long, 85% took up to this long. Um, and and what we what we saw is that, hey, 50% of the work coming in, you finish in four or five days or less, which is good, right? 70%, eight days or less, 10 days or less, right? It, it differed over different points in, uh, in, in the year because of the workload. And then 85 was at three months or less <laughs> right which which kind of shows that if something came in with high priority um they were they were right on top of it they were super responsive but the but the moment that priority started uh, start receding or the items were more difficult right moving someone from one country to a different country uh you know because of all the dependencies and those sorts of things take take a long amount of time um you know that that meant that 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 time would just go up and up and up. Now the the problem was is that the company had said, um, "We fix your problems within two weeks," and here we had data that said, "Well, that's true for seventy percent of the work coming in, but after that, it 
becomes much more of a gamble. Right? And then and then when you went to the 95% line, it, it got it got even worse. And so I I had repeated conversations of, you know, if we want to be employee-centric, if we want to do proper stakeholder management, we should just share these things with the organization. People know what to expect, right? And then we can also explain what is happening uh in 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 some of these uh in some of these cases and and why the numbers are what they are and it's just like uh but people are not gonna like what they see yeah and that's the problem with transparency right that is now you now you're touching on psychological safety now you're touching about the the organization's willingness to live in reality instead of living in plans and ambition which is cool too but that's that's one of the parts of the Scrum Guide that I enjoy most, where it says Scrum makes transparent the effective and uh, the efficacy of current management process and these kind of things, where all too often things become so painfully transparent and visible, visible. Now you have to deal with it, and then it's really up to you to decide: Are we going to actually face this this stuff uh, head on, or? Are we going to live and continue to live in our la-la land and, and just pretend it's not there and blame Scrum doesn't work over here? Yeah, and you, you see that you see that in all the aspects of Scrum, right? You also see it in the accountabilities, right? The, the, the Scrum master is meant to help the rest of the organization, but that would affect existing power structures. So we focus, we focus them all the way down to your team coach and never shall you talk to anyone outside of the team, right? The idea of product ownership is... If the product fails, who do we shoot? I think I think Ken's original term was it for whose neck do I ring, um, right? But but a modern bureaucracy is set up in in such a way that when things go wrong, no one has to take accountability for them. So this idea of here's one person that's going to be accountable, uh, that runs counter to kind of the basic aspects of modern organizational design. So what do we do? We say no, you manage the backlog. But we don't give you PL responsibility. We don't let you do strategy. We don't let you do go to market. Uh, okay. um, but if it fails, right. it's you. Oh, yeah. But if you don't deliver on time, then you haven't managed the team correctly. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun discussion to have with these, uh, these organizations. How does do these flow metrics support those kind of discussions? Well, is... Flow metrics don't talk about value, right? And I, I cannot stress that enough, right? Is it talks about stuff. How old is this <laughs> stuff and how much stuff can we finish? And uh, when can we expect some of this stuff to get done? It doesn't talk about value. Um, but Which makes sense, else they would have been called value metrics, not flow metrics. Yeah, and and for that, you, uh, you want to look at something like EBM, uh, you know, which big fan um but what it does is is the math behind it is simple enough it's not simple but it's simple enough to very quickly show you the quality or realism of your planning right is because you don't need that many data points to start doing some probabilistic forecasting um right so if you have uh if you have a backlog of say 100 items and your team is two sprints in and they've delivered uh and they've 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 delivered i don't know 12 15 20 items Right, you can use that data to do a bit, little bit of a forecast of well, there's you know a fifty percent chance to have a hundred items done by that time, seventy percent chance of having a hundred done by that time, and then have that conversation with your stakeholders, right? And because you show them those different likelihoods, right, they're already figuring out, hey, there's there's been some some prediction here, and pe- people trust math, right? People have an inordinary like again this really weird psychological effect once you start using percentages right which again if you read if you read thinking in bets right uh it's it's a fascinating topic in of itself but what i've seen happen for example is i've done that with with teams both on whole project portfolios as well as individual team backlogs 
is that if they say, okay, we want to go live on, um, you know, March 31st, and you say there's a 50% chance of finishing all of this by mid-April, you know, at that point, they're not going to argue with you, right? They're not going to argue with, oh, your, your forecasting is wrong and yada, yada. They're going to argue with you on, but we need to go live on March 31st. So what do we do? Yep. Then that's when you get into a discussion that hopefully works both ways because all too often I've seen Scrum teams still being told we have to go live and you you find the solution with all the scope. That's where you got to get back to reality saying, here are the numbers. We've crunched this stuff. We're not making this up. This is the realistic scenario. You also feed us with the right information and the product owner can get to decide what to release and what not to release. And the numbers are live, right? Again, these these calculations are so simple that with every item you finish, right, you can run the calculations again on that new data set and get an updated view. I'm also interested in, you know, there's still... a little bit of a skewed perspective when it comes to value delivery. And that comes back to that tasks, a lot of tasks and the dopamine shot. And the dopamine shot is kind of like the runner's high, you know, where people who are running after a little while get into this high mentality with a lot of dopamine shots. And I feel that's the same thing with developers where you have the developer's high. Just make it seem that you're delivering stuff deliver tasks finish tasks and then you get fed the dopamine shot and it appears that we're actually delivering a lot of stuff which you're not you're just checking off boxes of tasks that have been fulfilled how to make that that discussion transparent on what is actual value and how are we creating an impact um, on on the things that we want to do rather than oh Jesus here's such an amount of tasks that we finished look at all these numbers well, you have to you have to acknowledge where it comes from, right? And 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 again, that is that is kind of the eye opening thing once you once you get into the psychology behind it is, um, people have an instinct for self preservation, and they will take whatever is the cognitively easiest route, right? Which which doesn't necessarily mean the easiest work, but the but the cognitively easiest route to to get to that self preservation, um. Now, it turns out it is really important for people to have a sense of accomplishment, to have a sense of meaning, right? From the positive positive side, this is very much covered by Dan Pink's drive book, right? We're looking for autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Um, but I would argue the better read on this, on this field is Johan Hari's book on lost connections, which goes into the causes of depression and anxiety. And what he found is what I see is that a lot of that is related to the working environment that they're in, right? You have to have a belief that what you do matters, right? And that you're getting, and that you're getting better at it and that you're getting recognition for it and that you have an impact, right? Is we want, we want our work to have meaning. And so if you're a developer and you don't get to see the final product because all you're building is a component and you don't get to talk to actual customers because there's, four people, five people behind you and the customer. Um, and you don't get to see it actually work because all you deliver is uh, a piece of a piece of work that someone else will then test for you further up the chain. Then you know that is a that is an incredibly unhealthy environment to be in because you're just you're just on a you're just on a treadmill. Right? You're not getting anywhere. You're not seeing anything. So your mind defends itself. Right, Find some meaning in your environment. All right, what is the meaning here? I'm getting things done. I'm getting tasks done. Right, And so that becomes your source of accomplishment. Now, imagine then, right? Which imagine then that some asshole like you and me comes around and says, tasks aren't valuable. Right, we have to acknowledge that those tasks, that focus on tasks and that valuing of tasks is a psychological defense mechanism. And so we're just saying, hey, the stuff that gives your work meaning, that keeps you sane as you just blindly deliver things day in, day in, bout, that 
that the that you've convinced yourselves matters because that's the only thing you've been able to find that matters it doesn't matter right now you're back to square one i'm just sitting here building things nothing i do matters i'm depressed i'm horrible i go burn out and it takes right. a whole lot of time to fill in all these tasks man yeah just writing yeah. that stuff down already is a, is a day task so so go go find that customer right Go look upstream, go look into the finished product and find whatever that team did and see how it contributes to the greater whole. But, you know, and there's, there's a job there for product ownership. Absolutely. Right. Here's, here's a vision, et cetera. But if you're a cog in the wheel in a big, in, in a big machine as a scrum master, you have to help that team zoom out and see what role they play, right. As a start. There's probably a lot of things with organizational design that have gone wrong in that circumstance. But you have to you have to find a way to make that value transparent. Yeah. In the meanwhile, I looked up the Lost Connections by Yo and Hari as well. I'll mention that in the comments. I mean, we've been talking to uh, about a couple of uh, uh, recommended books by Gunther Fahir, Daniel Pink. But I, feel, I think this is, uh, as you mentioned, this might be very valuable as well. So I'll include that in the show notes. Another thing that I found very, very interesting, and now we're heading into the last part of this episode, is that you're basically giving this book away for free. It's yep. 105 pages long, so it's not as if this is something that has been written over a day. This is this is serious work, but you're giving it away for free. Why? Well, uh, who knows, by the way, who knows? What? Yeah. Um, same reason. Uh, same reason. The the EBM course that I recorded with Todd Miller is available for free. Same reason that the Nudge uh, canvas uh, that I built, you can just download that off of, off of GitHub is, um, I, um, Scrum and, and Common and all these ways working to me are things that are meant to support teams, right? Building things, right? Build great things, build things that you're proud of. And um, when the process becomes more important than the product that you're working on, right? When when Scrum or Kanban or EBM or 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 org design or change management becomes a burden, something that takes up your your um, your mental space in a day, um, you know that's 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 missing the point. So we wanted something that was accessible for people, right? Something that, hey, here's a thing, go try it out, go use it, and then hopefully you'll find that your your conversations with your team are much more to the point, the amount of time you have to spend on process goes down a lot, and you can focus on building good things, right? That's one part of it. The other part of it is, um, you know, we we wanted people to become more aware and that, that is something that really bothers Dan every time he's online is you see these scrum versus Kanban debates or, you know, these really big, here's the Kanban change model and, and yada, yada, yada. And is, is also just get that awareness of, hey, here's a strategy, right? Which follows naturally from the use of those flow metrics, right? Because once you start measuring uh, those flow metrics, right? The age of things and the amount of things you have in progress, you're going to find out Hey, if we work at more th uh, at more things at the same time, everything starts taking longer, right? If we're not actively managing work in progress, then things can just age unnaturally, and they start losing value, and they start blocking blocking our process. So, is is here's a strategy for doing Kanban, which is super lightweight, which which fits without any issue into Scrum, which is what we teach in the PSK, which which will fit into even traditional project management or which can be used as, as its own, um, that is much lighter weight, that is much more effortless that you can start applying. That again, will make your life a little bit easier. So we hope that it also just interests people a bit in what Pro Kanban has to offer if you're not the kind of person that likes reading a book and, and trying it on your own is, well, here's a bunch of other sources and even classes available that'll help you put this into practice. So uh, to not be hypocritical, there's a little bit of marketing in there as well. Yeah, well, of course, that, that's behind every book. 
you know yeah. it's it's to get something out but still i think it's very commendable that you that you're basically giving this away for free while it's it's, it's a crap ton of work uh, to write a book i mean i'm now in the endeavor with ryan brook to uh, to to write a book and it's an insane amount of work and to to give this stuff away for free is it's i think is really cool uh I think it's also very interesting uh, how people perceive Kanban versus Scrum as if they're not mutually connected or you can combine those. PSK, Professional Scrum with Kanban, is the perfect example that you can use both together. It's also not stage. You know, it's, um, I saw this, this, this bank recently over here in the Netherlands that they were going now to Agile 3.0. And Agile 3.0, in their case, meant they're doing now they're now doing DevOps, and they got rid of all the Scrum masters. As before, Agile 1.0 was just doing Scrum. Agile 2.0 was going to Kanban because obviously that's the stage that you're looking for after you've done Scrum. Then now you can do Kanban because apparently that's a, that's a step in the ladder. And now they're doing DevOps, which means all the other things tried before are inferior, as if Scrum and Kanban are now inferior to DevOps. So it's a really interesting take on things. Yeah, and the and the, the interesting thing there is that it's it's so it's so process focused. Right? Whereas agility is, you know, we, we overcomplicate it and there's a lot of stuff, oh you have to do scrum, you have to do common. No, you don't. Right? <laughs> agility is you deliver frequently. Right? Frequently enough so that the cost of wrong assumptions isn't isn't too big right? Because you're going to have wrong assumptions because you're in a complex field. You deliver quickly. You adjust course based on what you see. So your scope changes as you discover more. Um, and you get a little bit better at that continuously. That's that's all it takes to be agile, right? Deliver frequently, change course very uh, very frequently, and get better at it, right? So that so that your risk is low and so that your returns are great, right? And this is this is uh, this is something Knieber also says uh, says in his um, Agile Team Health Check, which is a little bit outdated for the stuff it checks for, um, you know. But those three things hold, right? That's Agile. Um, now Scrum can help you in that. Deliver frequently, inspect and adapt. Kanban can help you with that. Deliver frequently, inspect and adapt. Though it requires a bit more discipline for those last two. You can use a combination of each. DevOps, hey, again, really good complement to that. But you can you can do Scrum and Kanban and DevOps without being agile. Oh, definitely. All right, and so the the process when you're so focused on the process, um, you know that's that's often an excuse for not hitting not hitting that thing. So with that bank, I'd be really curious to see what their release frequency is. I have no clue, but I'm just also curious behind the mentality. Like, why are you so focused on finding that silver bullet for your organization that you don't have to work anymore for it? Like, it feels yeah. like they're they're trying to put a process in the, in there that's magically going to fit and, and create all the solutions um, instead of having a good look at what do we need to change as an organization, and yeah. how do we potentially need to change our organizational structure rather than all right here's here's the thing that we're now going to try and, and that's going to magically fix all of our lackings yeah. anyway that's a whole different discussion uh, last question where can people find you where can people interact with you outside of obviously the mastering agility discord community um probably probably the easiest way to get in touch with me is through linkedin um I'll, I'll I check things every so often. I have a I have a GitHub where I occasionally share things. So there's a nudge canvas on there. There's going to be an EBM canvas on there cool. as well at the later point this year. Um, I occasionally work with uh, with Todd and Ryan over at Agile for Humans. Uh, so if you're if you're over in the Americas, that's also a community. Um, and uh, I occasionally teach classes through different organizations in the Netherlands. Um, so yeah. Hit me up. There's also a website. I honestly haven't updated that website in a while. So probably if you want direct contact, LinkedIn is your best bet. Let's go for LinkedIn. I'll include it in the show notes. Well, good luck with your new house. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Xander. I certainly feel that our conversation had a nice flow to it. Thank you again, Will, for being here, for bringing your work out for free together with Dan Vacanti, of course, father of ProCombon.org. Hey, you guys, thank you again for listening, for tuning in to this episode of the Mastering Agility podcast. 
again, we hope to see you in the Discord community. Lots of cool stuff going on there. People helping each other get connected, get inspired, developing each other, coaching things going on. Really awesome to see. If you like this show, if you like the platform, please give us a thumbs up, a five-star rating, whatever you do. Share it with your friends, share it with your colleagues, with your mom. Help us grow the platform. That helps us bring in more awesome guests. Thank you very much. Until the next episode.